Hello and welcome to the 142nd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their interests are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Loot Rascals by Hollow Pond Games. Ricky, who are you and what do you do? Hello Chris, Um, I'm Ricky Haggart, Um, I am a designer, uh, I guess I'm a programmer as well, but I, I, I think of myself as a, as a game designer who, who expresses game design in the medium of programming. Um, and I run, a, I run a small studio with my wife called Holopons, and we're based in London. Excellent. So how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? I, um, I've, I've made video games since I was about 11, and I started on the BBC Micro typing in listings from an Osborne book. You were one of uh, those kids? You had a yeah. BBC? <laughs> well, no, I didn't have one. My, my, my primary school had one. Ah, and okay. so I used to stay in at break times sometimes and just type in these listings yeah. and make little games. And then when I was a bit older, when I was um, like 12 or 13, I got an Amiga. Right. And then I was making games in Amos mm. and Deluxe Paint. I was making art in. Um, and then uh, when Doom came out, I was about... 15 and i got a pc at that point everyone basically went oh the amiga's dead it's time to get a pc so i got a pc and then i was programming in QBasic and visual basic in windows and making more sorts of games uh then i went to computer university uh i went to ucl and did computer science and uh, i didn't really make any video games at university i just had fun being at university and then when i left university it was 2000 the year 2000 wow. and i left big sort year, of fell yeah, I just randomly fell into a job. Like a friend of a friend, uh, had just they just started this small mobile development studio in London, and I was like, "Oh, I need a job. That sounds all right. I, I think I know." You know, I hadn't done any game stuff for like three years, but I was like, "Yeah, I, that sounds like a good job." And at the time, mobile games meant like like uh, WAP games, like downloadable. You could like, you could play like backgammon on your phone with a server, um, or like um, one of the first lots of games they did was like the Infocom text adventure games on your phone. Um, so I started there and and did and, and like worked there for eight years, and along the way, like you know, Java phones came in, and then like the iPhone came in, and like Flash games became quite popular, and we made lots of Flash games. We had a Flash games portal, and we made there was like PC casual games that you could download, like sort of the era of PopCap, and I we made some of those. Um, yeah, and then I started uh, my first studio, Honey Slug, in two thousand and eight. Um, we made lots of little things, and then we made a game called Frobisher Says for the Vita. Yes, I remember then, that work of genius, yeah. if I may say. It's a, uh, one of my favourite Vita games. <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, it's a very like a very silly sort of mini game compilation. Yes. Um, and then we made Hohokum, mm-hmm. uh, and then we made uh, Super Exploding Zoo, uh, and then after that we um, went our separate ways. And then I started a new company called Hollow Ponds, and we made a game called Loot Rascals, and that brings us up to today. Wow, that's quite a quite a history. I mean, I'm gonna sort of you, you, what you said about the, the Amiga suddenly dying was absolutely true. Uh, yeah, see, the, 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 what's happened? All oh, the Dooms come out. Yeah, we, we have to abandon all this now. What it's Doom? It's Doom? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, it, it was, no, it was, it was almost overnight that everyone just was like, oh. <laughs> 
the, the Amiga, like uh, the, these sort of sprite-based games, are no longer a thing. No. Like it's all time to, on mass, all go to the PC and play loads of like first-person shooters, basically. Yeah, and and an X-wing. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what everyone did. It has fled. <laughs> it was like, but but no, serious. What about the sprite games? They're for the Saturn, but no one does that. So, <laughs> we're yeah. going over here now. <laughs> it's amazing. And two thousand. Um, what an amazing year, because that's the year that I went to my first E3 and I sat there watching um, um, the various executives of Sony wax lyrical about the PlayStation 2, no less. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, heady days, because that, that was a retro machine, apparently. <laughs> like, yeah. But I was there when they launched it. Like, Sorry, Chris, that was 17 years ago. Not 10 or 5 17 yeah we're we're, we're, re- we're retro people now yeah it's uh it's a it's a thing but you know you're you're, you're going into the, the sort of like so you saw and you were part of the mobile revolution you saw it sort of go from one place and you know you no one could have possibly sort of thought oh yeah 2007 uh, apple's going to release this ridiculous phone and it was and remains a ridiculous phone like this is the thing we've made and everyone lost their minds. I remember I was there at the time, and I didn't believe it at the time, and it kept on getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I was playing games on my iPod, and like, this doesn't make any sense. So, <laughs> you know, being part of that and seeing that. But you obviously had some close links with Sony as well because you, you, you did that, that PS Vita game. Is this something you always have always had? Um, we, we met up with folks from Sony fairly early on, like... Um, yeah, um, th- there's a guy called Shahid who worked at PlayStation in London. He came to see me and um, visit our studio, and we just basically showed him all of the little Flash prototypes we made. And you know, there were quite a lot of them. We made lots of made lots of small kind of prototypes, um, and showed him a bunch of them. And he was really excited about them. And then he signed one of them to for like the place the PSP minis. We did a game called Cahoots, which is like a little a game where you basically rearrange the world to make these little lemming-like creatures um, move around. So you can like switch spring blocks with trapdoor blocks, and and there are enemies that are trying to kill them. And we made all the art ourselves out of just stuff we found, or in charity shops, or you know haberdasheries. Um, and we just photographed and scanned all of the all of these things in to make the art. Um, yeah, so that was the first thing we did with PlayStation, and then they were just they were just really like nice to deal with. Right, they were just enthusiastic about about small teams making interesting things, um, and so yeah, that that it was it was in the same spirit that we made Frobisher and um, Hohokum, Super Exploding Zoo. It was all kind of part of the same like yeah, Sony being enthusiastic about small teams making cool things. Yeah, it's Frobisher says riddled with very British humour. Um, whether we like it or not and, and um, it's wonderful to see that because um, you know it doesn't often happen as much as I'd like but to have that how a culture if you will God I'm saying like a BNP member now but to have British culture exuded through a game like that is is, is lovely uh, in a gentle way for the most part although Frobisher was deeply abusive to the player um, it's just, uh, it just shows a level of invention that it still remains with loot rascals, of course, and that's um, that's that's riddled with with uh, very very British humour and um, retorts and statements and 
you know, the, the genie and his lamp uh, filled with, uh, yeah. with, with quips that um, he's trying to help. But ultimately, he's just like, can we just go? <laughs> it's a basic thing. Um, I love the fact that he's, he's all there. Um, let's just go. <laughs> There's like, yeah. there, I've got a plan, but ultimately, it, it, it all leads to the same end. Can we leave? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is wonderful because um, it, it just sums up what what I would actually if I was given if I was in that situation it would be exactly the same like can we just go <laughs> like yeah. well we can well no not yet so um, this kind of really my, my observation of mine to to, to sort of point out uh, that aspect of your your output to date um, what I've known of your output. Um, in video game land and what you've described leads me on to my next question I think I've never really liked this question but I feel it's necessary to ask it um, every time I try and frame it it kind of falls apart but uh, I'll try with yourself so don't balk mm-hmm. at it but it's something that I need to ask you as a creator what do you believe is your biggest influence or influences um, yeah my biggest influence is is the uh, kind of n- knowledge that the thing that I like doing best is collaborating with other people making video games, and and when and probably the the point when I really realised that was like because we started making Ho Hokum before Frobisher says, um, and so when I was working on Ho Hokum, I was working with my friend Richard Hogg, and the experience of of like yeah like approaching video game development like a collaboration because up until that point it had always been like okay here's my idea for a video game and this is how i want it to be and i sort of you know had this idea about my vision in my head of what i wanted to make and then it would be about uh you know communicating that vision to other people and yeah i mean like maybe there would be a little bit of like discussion and give and take but like fundamentally as a somebody making things it, the way I was approaching it was like, you know, we're gonna, we're going to, I'm gonna have the idea and the vision and the intro, and then communicate that to other people who are gonna like help me make the stuff that we need to make that thing. And with Hohokum, it was very much more like Dick and I just hanging out, chatting about what we were into and figuring out what the game was in a much more collaborative way. Uh, then we made Frobisher, and um, that was like kind of m- more of the same, but more so. It was like, okay we're going to just get loads of people to make art for these games. And so with some of them, we gave them a brief and like then made the games around what they'd made the art for. Um, and, and now I pretty much only make things like that or see, you know, I, I see game making things in that way of like, for me, um, it's not like, uh, I have this like, uh, central idea that is where the, where everything starts and then from there I like you know find people to work on it it's more like finding the people first and then having a conversation with them about like what kind of thing to make so the mere act of collaboration is what inspires you the most and that's that's beautiful that's great uh, that's uh, I say the mere act that's no that's no mean feat at all to actually encourage like I want to make this thing would you like to come and join uh, what thing? I don't know. What thing? What? Yeah. And that's basically. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly. Let's make a thing. Let's make a thing. It'll be good. Why will it be good? Well, because we're making we're it. Making It'll it. be fun. <laughs> It'll be fun. But 
wait, what? <laughs> and by the time they, by the time they've sort of said, wait, what? They're already in, right? <laughs> so they're, they're like, I mean, yeah. Uh, with, I'd say with like so with Loot Rascals, um, my friend Nat and I designed that game originally um, on paper, just right. but you know like. We played a bunch of board games, and she or she basically showed me a whole load of card and board games that I was really into. And then we sort of started designing it together, and and it's like one of those things where you couldn't really pinpoint who came up with what ideas. It was just a big soup of ideas, and it sort of slowly coalesced. And then that brought us to the point where we had a little digital prototype that was like very bare bones essentials of like, you know, you could move between hexagon tiles, kill baddies, pick up cards and equip them. But then from that point to what the final game ended up being was a huge amount of decisions, you know, things that shaped what the game was and wasn't. And all of those things really came out of discussion with the folks I made the game with. So partly with, you know, uh, Dave, who's like probably the main artist on the game. Um, and then definitely with like John Whiting and um, Pat Ash, who are like the, the co-designer, producer, programmers. So John was like the other gameplay programmer. And then Pat was the producer. And then we had a Slack where we just discussed all this stuff constantly. And, yeah, like the, the game the game that we made was like really just the result of all the discussions that we had about what we thought the game should be. I do find it wonderful that uh, in the indie game space, if you were oh, a horrible phrase, I just used it. Sorry, everyone. But in that realm or, or place where people are actually gathering all the resources they have, that you do encounter polymaths, people who are great at one thing, then greater another thing, then another thing. You know, not, not, they're not mm-hmm. jack of all trades and master of none. Like, no, they're master of all things. Uh, and <laughs> it's just scary sometimes when you encounter those people. But that's what I find is you have programmers who are then fantastic at art. We have programmers that are magnificent musicians. You know, oh, for example, I'm just flushing stuff around, but I'm sure you encounter <laughs> people like this all of the time. In fact, you probably work with them. Um, and uh, no, and that's that's how games like Loot Rascals come to be, uh, because it does does definitely feel like a wonderful collaborative effort of lots of people throwing lots of ideas together. And because you have different art, you have different things, and it still meshes together just right. It could so easily fall apart, of course, but it doesn't. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Dave. I was going to say Dave, who made all of the who did a lot of the character art, is also the voice of all the characters, including that genie, and did all the animation on those scenes and sort of scripted them. And, you know, yeah, he's like proper yeah polymath type person. Whenever the genie pops up on the screen, I will have a smile on my face. Because you yeah. say what I'm thinking. <laughs> Can we just go? <laughs> he's brilliant. Brilliant. Really well, right, well written. Because he's just empathising the player's problem, like... Yeah, we need to leave now. <laughs> Screw yeah. the universe. We just need to leave. Um, so um, this next question um, it can can be a bit of a tricky one because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but sometimes. But basically, what developer in the industry do you most admire and why? Oh, that's a really hard question. Um. Am I, and I'm only allowed to pick one. No, right? You can. I've had people have a gaggle of people they're inspired by or influenced by. Uh, following on from the previous question, that's how these questions are designed. Um, but and they have been designed. Um, but you can have a company if you like. I don't mind. 
It's ever however you want to answer. There's no strict, you know. I say developer in singular, but it can be plural. I don't mind. Um, so recently, I'm just going to pick some people recently because okay. <laughs> um, it's too hard otherwise. <laughs> I, I think um, I really like um, uh, the work that Adam and Becca do at Finji. Um, so Adam Saltzman and Becca Saltzman are like a kind of, like, they describe themselves like a mom and pop team. Right. They're like a, they, they, make, they make their own game. So they're making a game called um, Overland um, with a small team. But they also kind of uh, publish. Um, so they did Night in the Woods recently. Um, and they just have a really good, like they're really smart and they make really cool things. Okay. And they're very generous at giving advice and like writing useful, helpful things. Like just the other day, I was like, "Oh, I want to play some play some board games with my kids." And like my my eldest is getting old enough to like play board games now, and so I just went and found that article that Adam wrote about like, "Hey, here are some amazing board games I've been playing with my kids." Um, so like, yeah, they I feel like they contribute holistically to the industry in a good way. You know, like putting stuff out there that's like useful, um, as well as also just making cool stuff and being lovely people. Um, Says I need to get one on the show. <laughs> yeah, do, 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 do it. Um, and then recently, like, um, uh, like I guess when was it? Uh, at uh, PSX in December, right. I was hanging out with David O'Reilly, who just shipped the game um, Everything. And right. David's like, he's like properly amazing. Um, like somebody who I don't know, like basically, f- kind of like. Uh, my friend Dick Hogg, like somebody that fell into making video games, you know, hadn't, hadn't, hasn't been making video games all his life. He sort of fell into it, uh, made a game called Mountain, and then since then he's been making this game called Everything. And it's it's certainly a contender for, you know, one of my games of the year. It's an incredible thing. And just the way that he thinks about stuff is really inspiring and interesting. Yeah, people keep yelling at me saying, Chris, you should play this, you should play this. But shiny things... Play, just play this. So um, after that recommendation, and uh, I play it, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. And uh, yeah, stop looking at the shiny things, Chris. Bad man. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything else? Anyone else? Oh, I could probably think of loads, but like, yeah, the world, like the world of small, you know, small developers making cool things. Like there are so many amazing people yeah. making stuff. Yeah. Um, and I feel like more and more interesting cool people come out of the woodwork all the time um yeah i think the democratization of uh this has come up a lot on this show about the barrier of entry to making games has helped a lot the fact that high level languages are now you know de facto is a good thing uh in my view um because it's allowed like you say people to come out of the woodwork and go great i don't need to know assembly to make video games correct you used to yeah you really used to. That's how people made games back in the Amiga days, going back to that, that they had to know assembly in order to, to, to do that. But not anymore. Yeah, and it, it, it brings in, it, you know, it, yeah, the, the, the world of making games now has brought in lots of people who have creative skills but previously didn't have the technical skills. Yeah. I thought of somebody else. Um, oh. Paloma Dawkins is um, a Montreal-based, um, she's like an animator, I think by like, by like you know, training or whatever. But um, she's made a bunch of games, and she recently made a game called Palmistry, uh, which is completely. Uh, I, I don't even really want to describe Palmistry. Right. It's a very, it's a very strange uh, 
wonderful trip through a landscape involving hands. <laughs> and it has great animation and great music and lots of surprises and it made me laugh a lot. And it's and it's yeah, it's quite short. Oh and it's free. Wow. Play palmistry. Okay. Another one to track down. You just destroyed my time. It's, it's all in a good way. In a good way. Um so my last yep. question to you then, uh, in this first half. Uh, so we've well done, you've made it almost. It's got one more boss to, to fight off and you're done. Um, is, um, this is a legally required question I have to ask because we're talking about video games on a podcast. So I have to ask this question. What are you playing mm-hmm. right now? Oh, that's easy. Uh, I have been playing, I got a Switch. Uh, I just impulse bought a Switch because I saw it was, you could buy them on Amazon the other day. Okay. So I was like, I'll buy a Switch. I just, okay. Without even really thinking about it, I'd done it. Nice. Uh, so I've been playing the new Zelda game. Yes. Which is good. It is it's a good Zelda game. It's a good, solid Zelda game. I like I like how hard it is. I like how it's like, oh, wow, the, they've been playing Dark Souls. The combat's really hard. I can't just go around mashing the button. I have to think about this. Yeah. That's that's nice. It is. Um, not, and then I've been playing... Yeah, come, come on. Sorry. Uh, I've been playing Tumble Seed, which is also a Switch game. Well, I, I guess it's on everything, but it came out on, on Switch uh, yesterday, yeah, day before yesterday. So I've been playing that for a few days. That's really fun. Um, I'm always playing uh, a Dark Souls game, <laughs> and sometimes several Dark Souls games. Any one of them, like Demon so, Souls to Dark Souls Three, and then so so like I so I um, I've been playing Dark Souls Three DLC with my friend Angus, right? Because uh, I'm mostly just co-op it. So I've been like, like just slow. We've been slowly chipping our way through Dark Souls Three, mostly co-op where, where we can. Uh, so I'm almost done with that. Uh, I've been replaying the, the PC version of just the original Dark Souls. Right. Because I got look really nice is good. And then I've also been playing Dark Souls 2 on PS4 just because I was bored waiting for Angus to, to come online and play with me. So I was just like, oh, I'll have to play some Dark Souls 2 as well. So at one point I was juggling all of them. Um yeah, I love that like that series of games. That's that's really the only like so Zelda's maybe a bit of an exception, but like that those are the only like big like for a while, I suppose. So I haven't played, you know, I haven't played Yakuza or Horizon Zero Dawn or Near Automata or Neo or um Final Fantasy, or I don't know any of those games. No. Um, no. And I and I might and I might give them. A, or you know, I haven't played Overwatch. Um, and I yeah, like, I, like some of those games I borrow and I play them for like you know half an hour or an hour, and then I'm like, okay, I've seen what that is, but I don't have time for that in my life. So then I move on. Um, I re- almost finished uh, the Signal from Tulva, which is great. Great really game. Love it. I need to get that now because I know it's love out it. and. Uh, I love what I saw at uh, Res, what they've done with it. The sound design. It's yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, the audio is really, really good. And and just generally the atmosphere of it and the kind of vibe of it in the sense that it's like, a, you know, it has really intense shooty bits. But actually there's just a lot of ambient stomping around, um, which kind of like Far Cry, the original Far Cry. I found it really relaxing and like a cool... Yeah, like a cool structure for a, for a shooter. Yeah, you know, I can't. I, I, mean, I don't play any first shooters apart from apart from like science fictiony ones. I don't play any war proper modern war ones. Yeah, but like, yeah, the sense like basically being being sens- sensory overload and being bombarded with constant tasks is kind of the opposite of what I want from a video game. So the Super Control is like a first person shooter designed specifically for me. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do now? Go there. 
what, what about no seriously just go there but but no yeah. <laughs> go on yeah what about that over there That's no it. seriously <laughs> yeah. brilliant brilliant yeah whereas Tol- Tolva just lets you do whatever you kind of want in whatever order yeah, yeah. so um, yeah it's it, it is, we, we do live in an interesting time when it comes to FPSs you've got everything from your squad base shooter to oh look COD's gone back to World War 2 really really (laughs) didn't see that coming anyway um, on that note and also on the Switch what do you think of it as a machine not the one you go into I like the I like the operating system I like that it looks like it feels like a nice classy solid operating system yeah Um, there's not really enough on the store really to judge what the store's like but you know it was okay. I found the things. I found a couple of things I wanted to buy, and I bought them. Yeah, um, the, dock, the whole docking thing is is great. Yeah. Um, I too, hope but you're gonna need a screen protector. Oh really? Yeah. It scratches it. Yeah. <laughs> so right. yeah, I've actually got a carry case for mine because I do a lot of travelling. And I will get a screen. I think that, yeah, I, I probably will do that at some point. At the moment, I'm just dropping to my sort of the laptopy bit of my bag, so it's kind of fairly padded in there. Yeah. But yeah, the main thing I'm hoping my kids don't figure out how to separate those bits of the controller and then just squirrel them away and lose them. Yeah, that's that's the thing you want to avoid. Um, I do have um, another because Mario Kart came out, so I have another set of Joy Cons for four players. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's not for everyone. But don't you? Silly racing nonsense. But anyway, enough of that. Let us go on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into loot rascals. So, Ricky, question number zero. Tell us about Loot Rascals. So Loot Rascals is a it's a hex-based, procedurally generated roguelike um, uh, centred around uh, collecting cards, which you then equip in a deck to give yourself all, all the abilities. Um, that, um, it's brutally hard, uh, and it's disguised as a very silly cartoon. Yeah, it um, it doesn't t- take any prisoners. This game, if, if you think that, oh, this looks pretty, it does. This looks nice and jolly. It does look like all of those things. 
but it isn't. <laughs> yeah, if you if you uh, yeah. if you make one misstep, uh, if you mistime something, if you um, don't quite optimize your deck as much as you really should, um, then um, you will be in trouble. It'll get you. Uh, it will get you really hard. I mean, it, it doesn't. Yeah. You know. It doesn't like, oh, you made a little mistake. Oh, don't worry. Here's a little, I'm going to sort of, here's a little series of breadcrumbs to show you. No. No. You will learn from your failures over, as well as your successes. In fact, I've learned more from my successes than failures in uh, Luke Rascals, I've found. And mm-hmm. so my first question is based on my, on this learning experience. As you know. Uh, I can flip them over. You can flip them over. That works. Um, so... Yeah, the concept of time is riddled throughout Rascals. Time is very, very important. It has an impact on what time of day it is, whether it's daytime or nighttime, and whether the creatures you encounter will attack you first and vice versa, or do other weird and wonderful things, because the later on it gets in the game, even more complex and weird and wonderful things happen, and that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But with these turn-based mechanics and, and basically... The sort of limits that are prevalent throughout the game. What do you think this does to the player's experience? Um, early on in development, we the, so in 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 Little Rascals, yeah, there's a day-night cycle, and it's basically uh, it's turn-based. When you move to the next hexagon, the world updates. Yeah. Um, so if you stay still, nothing happens, and it's like it's a turn-based game, right? But it but it feels not like a turn-based game. Um, but yeah, like you're moving around on a hex board, move by move, and every five turns it switches from day to night. And early on, we randomise that. So in an, in an early build, not even that early, but like you know maybe halfway through development, uh, the day-night cycle was like generally longer. But like would vary instead of it being five turns. I think it was like something like between five and twenty turns or something like that. And it felt kind of annoying. And also there was a thing early on where uh, the enemies would always attack you at night first. So day was always your friend, and night was always not your friend. And um, over time, we reduced the time down between day and night. And then we had the idea of oh wait a minute. We can have some enemies that attack you first at day, and then that was an immediately way better when you sprinkle enemies around because all of a sudden, instead of these these phases being very like harsh, um, you know, like very distinct. Oh, you have to always run away at night. It was now much more nuanced. Mm. And then the last decision we made, which was the really good decision, I think, was just to lock it to five turns. And with five turns, it immediately felt like it was enough. It was enough turns to have meaningful things happen in the day and night phase. Um, but it was a small enough number of turns that you would really internalise the rhythm of moving five turns. So that when you're good, you kind of really get into the sort of dance of five turns that moving around becomes like, yeah, you like internalise the thing and you stop, you can kind of stop looking at the counter and you just have a good, really good sense for for like how far to run away and then when to double back. And, it, um, and I feel like, yeah, that... Hopefully, when the when the game's being played by somebody who kind of you know gets it and is into it, the there's pleasure in really appreciating that um, back and forth of time, you know, phases in a in a yeah, like a kind of it, it's like a pleasant tickling of the brain. 
that but that, that isn't occupying like the front part of the brain where they have to think about it really hard it reminds me a lot of when i played a board game a lot repeatedly because you know we have a lot of board games you tend to spread out but when there's some games i've played like for example and there's a relevance to this um lords of Waterdeep, which isn't a particularly taxing game but it's still fun anyway um you know um i've played it so often now that i'm barely reading the cards or anything I, and i've learned the layout of the, i know what how just just you know it's just you're intuitive you're just like oh yeah i'll do that yes well is it my turn done next you know it's just it's lovely to because you can just see it and read the map optimize it so it's similar with loot rascals like well, i can't kill him yet well i can but it's going to be risky if i go after him now but he's, he's on defense but he, by the time i get to him he won't be you know and um that's 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 all that's really really important and there are many times when i've like you know i love doing things by um well attacking them from a distance by using various special abilities that you get, mm. um, just like it's not—it's yeah. not cowardly. If I have the ability, <laughs> and it's going to help me out, why wouldn't I use it? <clears throat> I call it the um, you know BFG. Definitely, like it's a game. Which, it, it's it's definitely a game in which it's going to throw everything at you, mm. and you are just going to have you're going to like survive by being by figuring out all kinds of interesting things that the tools uh, let you do. Yeah. And if you don't figure out enough of those things, you probably won't beat the game. Like a big part of being good at the game is 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 learning all of the different strategies for like when's a good time to teleport, and when's a good time to use a decoy, and when's a good time to use fire, and should I slide on this bit of ice right now and heal right now? You know, there's all kinds of. I guess we kind of optimize the game for trying to um, make sure that the decisions the player was making were never boring. So there aren't many things in Loot Rascals where it's like completely, um, you know, like, oh, I have to do this uh, and it's obvious and it's like boring. You know, we, we took out a lot of the kind of grindy, grindy things that you might be able to do and just tried to boil it down to like interesting hard decisions. Yes, there are a little bit binary. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do Oh, never mind. OK, well, that, don't ever do that. Too late. No, I'm going to run home now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Running home. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, yeah, there's monsters around you, isn't there? Never mind. Um, so, you talked about a little bit about optimum time there. And this is a question, the second question to you, really, is that one of the things, the structure of the game, uh, we haven't really mentioned it, there is actually technically a time limit. Um, mm-hmm. Each level, uh, if you stick around for far too long, things start to appear. They're not very pleasant at all. And they will attack you, and they don't really drop anything. Of course they wouldn't, because you don't want them around to do that. But they are nonetheless extremely malevolent. Um, so I'm going to ask you this. So the only way to get out of this, by the way, listeners, is to actually get to the exit of the level and just run. Uh, because that's what, you know, you're meant to be doing, just leaving. Um, a game about running, yeah. It's a game about running and leaving, is what it's about. And uh, as, as as the uh, genie quite you know plainly says... <laughs> Um, when do you and this is a bit of a play tip really maybe, but when do you believe is the optimum time to stop farming in inverted quotes Not I don't mean farming but well, it is actually a bit of farming uh, at the level and up for the exit um, I, well, I mean I, I will if I found the exit 
yes. then I will potentially risk going right up to the to like when sweepers start appearing. Right. Uh, but I won't want to hang around very many turns after the sweepers start appearing. No. Um, but if I haven't found the exit, then I pretty much just focus on that first. Right. And then, um, yeah, like I won't, um, you know, I wouldn't risk, I don't think, even teleporting back to the dome if it was going to bring sweepers and then because then you can teleport back to where you were at teleported out from into a bad thing so yeah yeah it it generally like i think once you know like ideally you find the exit and then you might want to clear you know a bit around the exit depending on how many turns you've got left you know if i've got 50 turns then until until the little bugs start arriving then cool i will i will um you know, I'll, I'll I'll have a good old wander, but m- more likely it's like, oh, I found the exit, and maybe I can explore this little cave beyond the exit and, and clean up some more stuff. But then, yeah, I don't. I mean, generally, it's not the kind of game where you want to take risks unnecessarily. So, brilliant. And what I've found basically, I, that's why I hesitate to use the word farming. I don't sure I'll write that in my question, but sometimes it feels a little bit like that. certainly early on in the game when I've been playing it so often. The earliest part, the earlier parts of the game, was like. Yes, I know what to do. Go there. Oh, I know. So it feels like that, but it's not. It is. Uh, it's definitely uh, lots and lots of decisions being made. Risk. It's all about risk reward. <laughs> all totally about this yeah, risk reward. Speaking of rewards, see, I'm good at segues. Although I just call it a segue now, so it's no longer a segue. Um, the cards that act as a basic engine to loot rascals. I believe there's an engine behind. Clearly, there's a lot of thought been put into their creation. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, and you hinted at it earlier, but could you go into more detail about how you designed them? Do you mean the attack and defence cards? Yeah, well, just the cards generally. I mean, there's lots of them. There's also enhancements, which we haven't really spoken about. Mm-hmm. But you have overlays on top of the existing yeah. cards and all sorts of weird... But could you just tell us about the design of the cards themselves, regardless of their type or form. Just yeah. how have you gone about doing that? So we started off We started off making this game with cardboard and paper. Right. And we had um, a version of the game where, um, you know, the character sheet was just Nat writing it down on a piece of paper and writing down the current attack and defence. And there were a load of hexagons on the pub table and you would, you know, decide which one you wanted to move to and then you'd turn that, that, hex, that hexagon over... And I think in the original version, it would be like, oh, you you found another card that you can put in your deck, uh, which would have either attack or defense. And I think some of them originally had like attack and defense or whatever, or there would be an enemy that you fight with your current attack and defense. Um, when we came to decide how that like the attack and defense was going to work, we um, we pretty much did like the simplest thing we could do. And like, I really wanted the game to be um not like a kind of stats i didn't want to i didn't want to have like uh, a game where like the enemies all have like three stats and you and and you have loads of stats and there's all kind of complicated numbers flying about so i wanted to boil it down to something really simple and the simplest thing was like the enemies just have one number and that's both the health they have left and the the amount that they hit you with and that feels really solid and elegant and it means that it means that um, you basically whittle an enemy down, but they can still get have a chance. Even a weak enemy that, that you have to kill in two hits still has a small chance of hitting you because any enemy who hits you with any number at all, get you know whether it hits you is divided by your defense. So even with a really weak enemy, it feels good. So there's kind of tension to it. You know, there's like you you 
uh, even at the point when you're about to kill them, there's still the small chance that they might get one back on you, yeah. which always felt good. And it was nice and simple. Um, and then the abilities, like originally we had, we, we you know, we, we kind of did a bunch of sort of traditional things that you might expect. We'd had like, oh, there's like a currency and you can buy special cards and then we had oh there's like a skill tree we had like a final fantasy 12 style um what was that thing called that big board that chess board that you would expand yourself across in final fantasy 12 and you'd basically you had the license board maybe Hmm. and effectively it's like a spatial skill tree like a 2d grid and you'd start at a particular point, each character, and you could build out to get the abilities. And we had basically that, but with hexagons to unlock all these abilities and big skill tree. And you basically have to sync unwanted cards into unlocking tiles on the skill tree to like get to different points. But it felt really fussy and complicated, all of that stuff. And um, we were much more interested in the in the, like the, the abilities being good and interesting. And uh, when we got to the point of having a bunch of interesting abilities, what was really cool was, well, let's just make them take up the same slots as the cards. Like, let's just, instead of these things being skills in a skill tree, let's make them cards that you have to equip so that they're vying for space with the basic attack and defense. Yeah. Um, and in, in earlier builds, there were more slots. I think we started with, instead of 10 slots, there were 12 slots. But we also had loads, like a like 30 or 40 spare card slots, like a massive... You know, you could never run out of spare slots. So you could just keep all the spare cards that you didn't need and just swap them in when you needed them. And when we started to make make it much more tight, much more like when well, you only have this many slots, uh, you've really got to decide. Like every special card you equip is going to be some attack and defense you don't have. Then immediately the game started to feel both simpler and just like tighter and cleaner, but also like yeah, just aesthetically more satisfying. It mirrors um, the world, the outer world in many regards and that it's obviously it's it's all about optimization it's all about efficiency and the the movement of your character is efficient and now the character and then that's mirrored with the the card game itself there is a symbiosis between the two isn't there yeah like that's that yeah like like um i guess you're saying that it's like a stream it's a streamlining right you we want the we, we want the player to be able to enjoy all of the um, all of the depth and richness of the game design, but without having to trudge through loads of screens and look at loads of numbers and like it, you know, we tried to boil it down to something quite simple and tight to interact with, you know, like it's easy to around and fight enemies, but there's a lot of depth in which, t- which enemies to fight and when, and it's really easy to just pick up cards and drop them in, but there's quite a lot of depth in terms of like how you want to arrange them and which ones you want to keep. Okay. Uh, and then I guess the thing we haven't said was no. like the spatial modifiers, like like because a bunch of the cards will like affect the one to their right or below, or will affect ones of a similar type, and that is I don't know that's a fairly it was fairly straightforward. I think we just came out with that in the paper version, and most of the ideas we had were sensible, and they pretty much made it to the final version. And along the way, we added a couple and tweaked a couple, but basically it was like yeah that works. Placement, five yeah, by location grid. of the cards in the in the grid of the two by five grid, vital. There are times when a one card will go from one point to five uh, in early parts, and even later parts it gets even more ridiculous. If you don't yeah. have this layout, very. I mean, I can spend not all more at a time going. No, no, no. If I put that there, put 
that. <laughs> it's like a Rubik's Cube, yeah. uh, only less painful. <laughs> well, originally, originally, some of those like some of those cards had like four different properties on them. Wow. And it really was proper analysis paralysis. Yeah. Like it was like it was, yeah, it was way too heffal on. And, and generally, although we didn't change the mechanic at all, and we didn't really change that many, we didn't add or add that many rules. The main thing we did was just make it simpler and simpler in terms of how many there were. Hmm. Well, my last question, and I only ask this of games that I find challenging, and I, I always put this to to developers, and it's also based on our conversations at PAX and and the and the other events we've met at. Um, I just because you, it's just sort of it's sort of uh, settled in my head for quite some time. You've also said it on Twitter and stuff like this, is that basically the game is quite hard. So. What is the one piece of advice you'd give, only one piece of advice you'd give to a player as they sit down to play Assassin's Loot Rascals for the very first time? Oh, well, we, so we actually put uh, on, on like the PlayStation blog, we published like a whole load of playing tips. Right. Because um, we, yeah, we were like, hey, this game's hard. We should try and give people some, some, some sensible advice for people that are stuck. Okay. Um, I think that the biggest bit of advice is probably that and this is this is very much geared towards beginner players who i've seen play is, is that they is that i think partly because of the game is very um uh, it's very free and easy you can you can you can run fight some enemies pick some cards up equip them run fight some more enemies and you know depending on how lucky you are you can have a little bit of early success with that that kind of gives you a full sense of security. Mm-hmm. And I would say the biggest bit of advice is that there's lots of bits, times in Loot Rascals where you really need to stop moving and really think about like where you're going to move to and why. Um, and I think that, um, that, yeah, that's because you can run freely. Like if you, if it was a game where you literally had to nominate a tile to move to, then I think that people would naturally just like think about the moves a little bit more than they do at the moment yeah. for beginners. Uh, but because you can run freely, mm. it sort of requires like a, an extra level of like, no, wait a minute, you don't actually want to fight that guy and you don't have to just back up one tile and then go down and then move there and fight that guy instead. And now go back and fight him rather than just blundering into like, the, you know, the enemies that are going to kill you. Yeah, there's, um, there's 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 creatures that run away from you uh, early on. Uh, they they're very irritating because like, you know, because I know every step isn't free. You said it's free running. It's not. Every single action, every single step, costs. You know, because the time is ticking down towards the creeper creatures, and I'm just like, oh god. And that's what I do every level. Is just like. Because they're coming. <laughs> These beasts of horror that I'd hate attacking or being anywhere near. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I meant I just meant free in the sense that you're not locked to a tile. You can run around freely with the analog stick, yes. and that gives you a certain sense of carefreeness, which is definitely not. It is is definitely an illusion. It is. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, those 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 rat guys. It's definitely not always worth trying to kill every last one of them because it wastes loads of time. Yeah. Like I often just go, ah, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can, you can make robots. I'm off. Yeah, yeah, you can make robots. I'm, I'm going anyway because the genie told me to leave <laughs> anyway. <Yeah. laughs> so we're leaving. So yeah, um, they are very frustrating. But I don't, uh, 
I've just learned to understand that if I hit one, if they happen to cross my path while I'm heading for something more useful, then so be it. Uh, but otherwise, yes. yeah, it's so. just. But yeah, I, I was talking about in real terms of cost. Trust me, everyone, you don't want those creepers arrived. This is so annoying because uh, they are just, just yeah. <laughs> they are violent. They're really violent. I swear to God. Especially, now, sorry, Karen. Especially space death. Space death. You don't want to meet space death no. in that game. No, you don't. Really don't. Yeah. But anyway, that's the last question. I hope you enjoyed the the, the experience. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it was great. Um, it, uh, Loop Rascals is out on PS4 and Windows PC? Yeah, PC, Steam and Humble and Itch. Oh, okay, cool. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you. Congratulations for finishing it and releasing it and etc. And uh, it is an extraordinary game. It's very inventive and so much fun to play and to laugh at because there's not enough games that you can laugh at. <laughs> Uh, and to have that genie mutter something else basically on the same theme of please leave is brilliant um, so Ricky it's been fantastic having you on thank you very much Chris that was great and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory do leave us an iTunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on stitcher.com so just go to stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the sausage factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the Stable mate podcast, should we say, of spong.com. Bye! Thank you.